I'm ready. Yeah, we're in. What up? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pinche Millennials Pinche Participation Podcast. I'm Amanda Miguel. And I'm Nick Ochoa. We are Latino millennials sharing our fresh, relevant perspective on civics and political participation in the U.S. today. And today's episode is about Super Bowl ads and American identity. Welcome to everyone joining us on Instagram Live. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And we're going to be discussing what we saw in the most recent Super Bowl just this past weekend. Um, As some of you know, you know, generally we look at history through, you know, hindsight, right? Um, And we're like, what were we thinking? And I think, to be honest, the Super Bowl ads this year and the Super Bowl in in and of itself really reflect a moment in American history. So, and the question I think really at this point that we're asking ourselves is what is the American identity? What does it mean to be American? And what does, yeah, what does, what does that look like? (laughs) Especially for me and Nick. (laughs) Yeah, this episode was inspired by the ad Amanda uh, mentioned, uh, but sorry, by the Super Bowl and a particular ad um, that after she saw it, Amanda texted me and was like, are you watching this ad? Have you seen this ad? And it's the Jeep ad featuring Bruce Springsteen. Um, it was actually just taken down today yeah. from Jeep's YouTube because apparently Bruce Springsteen had a DWI in November. So They're like- I feel like Jeep should have edited that regardless we're not talking about that right it's that right irrelevant and you know I, and so many people are joining um, in sorry i don't i it's a little bit lagging but you know just thank you and hello to folks um adam waters derek hola uh the hesselback household hi gabe julie um <laughs> genie, genie D's. D's, what up <laughs> I know that guy. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. We just wanted to say a quick hello. Thank you for joining. Um, and yeah, back to, you know, me and Nick were like texting back and forth, like furiously of what we were seeing on the Super Bowl and then all the conversations here now, which brings us to this special episode. Um, but, you know, the inspiration was the ad um, and and, and, and just for, for folks to, you know, know what, what we actually saw was essentially Jeep, which is, you know, a corporation, they're trying to make profit. So they're trying to market a product to you. And in order to market this product, the, what they were selling you is essentially reuniting the United States and making a commentary on how, how we will do that as a country. What they used to promote that idea is where we're 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 um, highlighting for today's conversation. So there was essentially a lot of imagery of what it would be traditionally known as like middle middle America, plain fields. Um, uh, the, and, and they actually highlighted that in the middle of the continental U.S. stands this Christian chapel. Um, so you see a Christian um, cross being referenced. Um, what was the other? Th- I, I I would say there was like some wording and things like that, but yeah, he says something like this: "This chapel's in the middle of the continental U.S. and it's a it's open twenty four seven, and all are welcome here to come and pray." 
to talk, to share, to be one another, like to meet each other. And then he goes on to say more or less like, this is where we can all come together and we just meet in the middle. We'll be good. Let's try doing that is the ethos of this whole ad. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's the part of what Amanda and I were texting about as we saw this commercial was this narrative, this mythology that the middle of the U S is some unifying factor, this thing that we can all agree on. And if we just wish hard enough, we just act right enough. We can all just be on the same page. And it's funny, I have family in Kansas and for Mm. many years would drive from El Paso, Texas to Kansas, which is a 13 hour drive. Mm. And going through Kansas, it's a lot of cattle ranches and flatlands. Mm -hmm. But as a Mexican family, I didn't feel safe or welcome a lot of the time. Like we'd stop at a gas station and get looks. I'd stop at the Dairy Queen to get lunch. Mm. And here I am in Kansas, the same place where Bruce Springsteen's Mm. giving this mythology about. And I don't feel this welcomeness that he's saying, you know, the middle of America, the chapel is great, la, la, la. Mm -hmm. So it's part of this like ongoing centuries old mythology of making up what America is and glossing over a lot of harsh and unpleasant realities, unfortunately. Yep. And, and another key thing that I want to highlight, because we're going to, these have, this conversation has lots of levels. So that's just surface level. Um, but the second piece is, you know, the, the, there was a moment where Bruce Springsteen like reaches over and touches the ground um, and the land and like almost in a way of like, it reminded me of like ownership. This is this like almost the idea of like, this is our land. This is our country. Um, and just feeling this like possessiveness of, we should be able to come together because this is our country. But yeah, he even says like Mm. the very land we stand on is common ground, which is nice rhetorically. But Amanda, you bring up this idea of possession. Mm. And I think about manifest destiny, which you learn as a, which I learned as like a fifth grader or something, Mm -hmm. you know, if the Americans were like, it is our destiny to go all the way West Mm -hmm. and these lands are ours. That's our right. Right. But hold up. There were populations, countless people who were already living there who were just plowed over and plundered and just like erased. And including populations from where Amanda's living and where I'm from, the Mexican populations there, the indígenas, Mm -hmm. who were living their lives happily and then suddenly you don't belong here. This is not your land. So how common is this ground? Right. You know, and so to see Bruce Springsteen's hand reach in and grab it. Yeah. Is pretty symbolic. It was jarring. To be honest, while I was watching, I was like, excuse, like I was just like, it was like imagery after imagery. I was like, white supremacy. I'm like, no, like, and then the fact that it was just being um, taught, like, yeah, just highlighted. And um, I know we had a question here, like what, folks thoughts were on um seeing that ad i don't know folks who are listening into our live what were your reactions to to seeing that ad or seeing the coverage on it um because i don't think it's a coincidence that they just took it down today um i think it's you know they're one is probably a cop out too using the dwi they probably already knew but and maybe the intention was to be controversial i'm not sure but some people ate that ad up and that is why I really wanted us to talk about it. Cause I was like, 
let's shine a light on um, that, you know, this is not the history. This is not the revisionist history that we can continue to tolerate um, in today's day and age, especially as millennials stepping into these roles that are changing the rhetoric of these of these issues that, you know, affect all of us. And we'll sum it up at the end of how it could be super pervasive and existing ways beyond what we just read and believe um so here's a thought i have amanda yeah. that you just just that you're what you're sharing now is mm. bruce springsteen speaks to a certain like mm. is, a, is a very intentional choice obviously yes. right they could have picked beyonce or britney spears or who we're huge fans of clearly in our generation. Well, yeah, that's why my mind comes first. <laughs> yeah. Hello. But, you know, they could have picked anybody. Mm -hmm. They could have picked Michael Jordan to mm -hmm. speak in this or James Edward Olmos or like literally anybody, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't recognize that was Bruce Springsteen's voice. Me neither. Right? Oh, like, oh, like, that man is. And to be, to be completely honest, like I didn't know who Bruce Springsteen was till I was in college, till I was 18 years old, living down the hall from a dude from New Jersey, mm. which is where Bruce Springsteen's from. And this guy was always singing and playing his music. And, and I was like, who's, who's this song? And he's like, are you kidding me? You've never heard this song. And I was like, no, what is it? And then he gave me a whole history of Bruce Springsteen. And I was like, okay, I didn't even know this guy existed. But Bruce Springsteen is an icon for so many people in the in America. Mm -hmm. um, and he's, and he's a, an incredible musician. Um, but his ethos, his, he's part of that Americana vibe that is very specific to people who don't look like us. Mm. A lot of non-white Americans may not connect with Bruce Springsteen's vibe in all these ways that he's been on for since the seventies. Um, mm -hmm. I actually also, in a weird connection, started reading Bruce Springsteen's biography a couple of years mm -hmm. ago. Um, one of my family members has it in their home. And before pandemic, when I would travel there regularly, I'd read a couple chapters each time. And so I'm learning from Bruce Springsteen's own words. Like he grew up in New Jersey. He's in a Catholic household. Um, and how a lot of his music was couched in we're all just normal folk. He's, mm. he came from a blue collar background, not you know, not very wealthy or pretty impoverished actually. And so his music was born from this frustration of I'm trying to make ends meet. I'm trying to be a normal person. And there's mm. so much bad stuff going on around me. That's happening to me. Yep. And his music was just liberating mm. getting out of that. And, you know, and, and so I understand how so many people can connect to it. And now, mm. I listen to his music as an adult and I can appreciate it for various things, but yeah. his music's not universal. Yeah. You know, his, his, the culture he's built and lived in and throwing back at us and his music is not universal. doesn't speak to everybody. Yeah. I know we have some comments to Grease Bernie, who is a music aficionado. So totally he would know who Bruce Springsteen is. Uh, thank you, Celine. Yep. Is a personification of blue collar worker. Um, and I can totally get that. Cause that is, that is what we've been fed as like this American, um, Americanness, like just pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, et cetera. Um, and yeah, 80s Bob Dylan with a white worker. Absolutely. And that worker concept too, and just how far removed we come from that in current society today, um, given with the gig economy and how we try to erode workers' rights at every corner, um, it, it, True. We are just 
so far away from what even that imaginary dream, um, you know, through the 70s and 80s, um, we're just not there anymore. We're in 2021. That's just, we're like 20 years from 2000. You know, it's just wild to me just how we are just in a different, different point of time. Um, but it can but be exciting. Something that <laughs> we're still, we're decades away from what, you know, what you've just brought up, but like we once something that always continues is this mythology, this ethos, this idea, this romantic idea that America's the land of the it's great. It's the best in the world. Mm. We're better than literally everybody. Everyone wants to be us. Everyone wants to be like us. And this is the land of opportunity and you just work mm -hmm. hard and you pull yourself up your bootstraps. That's how you, and that's what we've been cultured. That's what we believe. That's how we learn our, our country. And, and, and we gloss over yeah. this mythology hides, ignores, neglects, puts under dusts under a rug. The fact that a lot of those ideas I've just laid out are not true. Nope. It's not reality for all. It's a myth. I mean, that's part of building yeah. a nation is you come up with an idea. Mm. Here's who we are. Let's go. And then everybody, but you know, you agree to it or whatever. And this is who defines your country. Yep. But so it, it's just crazy to think that these notions are like pervasive in our culture, but what it means to be American is something that I've chewed through mm -hmm. all my life. I think when I was in, like learning to write paragraphs in second or third grade. Mm -hmm. One of my teachers um, gave us a writing prompt. What does it mean to be American? Mm. And so we wrote what our second or third grade minds could conjure up. But I've been wrestling with that all my life. I mean, I think of mm. the phrase all American. You hear that and see that written in books and movies. What does that mean to you? Can you picture what all American means? Yeah. For a lot of people, it's, not someone like you or me, Amanda. Yeah. Right. And you and I are getting told you can't speak Spanish in public because that's not American. Mm -hmm. Girl, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's this complicated question that just like has dominated a lot of our lives for many of us. Um, no, totally. I mean, and Pinche Millennial, and thank you again for the comments coming in of like, yes, this concept of what it is to be American, how you have this opportunity, get a house, have a family, like, that's not very possible for lots of places here in our country. And um, this question, I think it's in, in, it's tied with like this American concept. And then how do you fit into that American concept? So it forces you to be like, am I doing something wrong that I'm not fitting into this picture? Like, why am I not able to access that? And I think that those pieces of, um, oh, what does it mean? You know, for me and Nick, we're we're obviously highly highly civically engaged and you know find a huge responsibility and calling to to be engaged to you know because we in some ways really love and appreciate the, this country and what it can be um and again back to my why i introduced this pinch millennial is it was my play off of what it meant to be what i i, I see myself as now i, I couldn't put american because it it truly wasn't something, um, even though I'm a hundred percent, like I'm a U.S. born citizen. I mean, for whatever that means too, of, I have other qualms with that as well. Yeah. Um, and which is what brings me, I was like, yeah, I, I speak Spanish. I speak English. Um, 
I, I think I want, I would rather identify with my age demographic because I found that there's hope, um, and just a more diverse, diverse composition for our age demographic that I found myself really, I was like, yeah, you know what? Millennials aren't buying homes as quickly or having families as young as they used to. And, um, those were things that really resonated with me. And I think back to the comments that, uh, Celine had made, um, those those concepts have been drilled in your mind and in commercials in tv shows that this is where you would get if you were a successful american sorry yeah and i um as as we prepared for this podcast i was like what am i going to wear i'm usually very intentional about the shirts i'm wearing um and my hair is pink as i mentioned before i (laughs) dyed it to be as an homage to megan rapino for halloween and i'm just writing it out till I run out of pink hair dye. Um, so I put on Megan Rapinoe's Jersey and it's funny that USA is right here, big in front on my chest. And this is another example of like land of the free equality. And here I am repping the Jersey of a very, an amazing athlete Mm -hmm. who does not get paid half of what her male counterparts do on a less successful team. So where's, where's this equality for all? Hmm? Yeah. It's not happening. <laughs> yeah. And I'm laughing and it's sad that yeah. I'm, that it's ridiculous. That it, but that's a chip in this mythology, a chink in the armor that yep. we've built as our American identity. Yep. And, um, and that's why that imagery was so commented, triggering. Oh, so sorry. There, you know, this was, it was just so triggering that commercial to me because it's like, we're here today's in today's like, day and age and that concept is still being touted that whole back to our original points of manifest destiny and i don't know or which in, is is not just um like our right to land but also the whiteness the whiteness white supremacy that was tied hand in hand with using christianity to 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 christianize you know the western part of our country um and, you know, as, you know, folks that do practice religion and, you know, are the, that do live by faith, you know, it is still right to acknowledge um, that those pieces um, in history have been very violent, have been very oppressive, um, and especially in this country. So I, you know, you can have both of those things, you know, those two things can be true. You can be 100%, you know, have faith in religion, but 100% know that religion was used as a way to justify the deaths and um, slaughter of indigenous peoples all over this world. So I just right. absolutely want to ensure that that's something that we highlight. And that's important. I think um, so, someone someone mentioned we're all American. We're American, but not everyone has the same opportunities, mm. which is true. I mean, we think about the Americans who grew up on this land who are, go back generations and are from native cultures. Mm-hmm. And many of them don't have can't vote because states have decided if you don't have a mailing address you can't vote so we literally have native folks in arizona and Mm -hmm. wyoming and other places native lands don't always have roads or running water and addresses like a suburb or a city does Mm -hmm. so if you don't have an address you don't get to vote that's messed up you know that's an example of how we don't have opportunities americans people who are like native to this like land literally americans from these countries yeah. <laughs> these lands of americas um and there was another comment about uh getting triggered when they hear american 
uh, especially from um, relatives in Mexico. Oh my God, totally. Like you're here, you're Mexican. You're a pinche Mexican <laughs> when you're home. You're like, it is not pinche American. <laughs> pinche like, gringo. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, there's um, there's a popular phrase and I tried looking up the origin. I cannot for the life of me find the origin. Um, ni de aquí, ni de allá. Yeah. For a lot of us third culture kids, whether you're grew up in an Asian household or um, a, a household of recent immigrants from wherever mm -hmm. you identify with that culture your heritage and then also you're coming of age you're growing up you're living and socializing in this culture so you're learning that but neither accepts you like selena's father said you have to be more mexican than the mexicans and more american than the americans you have to know bud light and or, well, like, oprah know. oprah and christina. christina but even if you do know all the things you're still not good enough, you yeah. know? So yeah, I hear that you, when I go, when I go to Mexico, I like, I try telling this to my white American friends. I'm like, I, it's very obvious that I'm not Mexican when I'm in Mexico. Like sometimes I'll have an accent. Sometimes I won't. Sometimes I'm pocho and my words won't come out in Spanish, but like, mm -hmm. I'm not Mexican enough to be, they clock me. Right. And then on this side, Oh, you're so eloquent. <laughs> Excuse Get me. Get out of here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, Anyways, we won't talk know. about it. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's important. I, I think I want to pivot to some, another point Amanda brought up that, which I've been getting to is that for people who live in the U S doesn't even matter your citizenship status. Like that's irrelevant here. You get, there's a lot of narrative we've seen, especially now that people are recording their smartphones all the time of like someone's in a grocery store speaking another language and they get attacked and they're like, you know, the attacker is saying, this is America speak English, damn it, mm. blah, 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 blah. And there's all this unaccept, like this lack of acceptance and this actual open hostility, which is like, yeah. again, part of America. Yeah. Um, and it's really frustrating and disappointing but not surprising to see that hate crimes against asian americans have skyrocketed in the last number of months in the last year yeah. um i mean you can just google like asian hate crime and you'll see that an old man was pushed down in san francisco because he an, an old asian man and somebody was like you brought the chinese flu or whatever garbage terminology they're using like people are using coronavirus as an excuse to assault, to intimidate, to mm -hmm. harm mm -hmm. Asian people in the US and Asian Americans. And it's just messed up. That's part of America's legacy, right? This yeah. mythology of like, we're the melting pot, we're loving and everybody's equal. Okay. But then you take into consideration what I've just laid out and how that's not new. Yep. That's that goes back decades. Americans have been hating on Asians since the 1800s and before. Yep. And it's yeah. If you're not white, if you're not white looking, if you don't have the correct accent, if you're in the wrong place and you don't fit what Amer means to be American, you're, you might be in danger. And that's something we need to like come to terms with. It's, it's, it's a terrible, awful thing. Yep. I think, and, and this is, I think we preface it slightly at the beginning of like where, where this can get us to. So this imagery, as some people might have embraced it, you know, thinking like, oh, it's the Super Bowl, the All-American, you know, um, 
sport which i think is technically baseball and the world sport is technically soccer but we won't go into that where you know the americans think it's just football 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 but uh it's actually football <laughs> and the you know <laughs> that's the international yeah um but that's a different conversation but this idea of what this can lead to the 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 harms of it that harmful rhetoric of if you don't fit into that into that mold or into that concept and the means we're be, you're othered. Um, and that is what Nick is, was describing. This is where the hateful rhetoric can really play into and, to, and translate into actual physical violence. And we see it time and time again. Um, you know, recently there's been a big push of like highlighting it in uh, mainstream media because it's just not getting elevated enough. But I think the percentages were like it's increased um, by 1900% um, just in recent in recent in the recent year because of covid and yeah. the fact that we had elected leaders openly calling it chinese virus crossing out the actual word for a coronavirus um and making this a political statement and politis politicizing hates and hateful acts um and and that that's the, the piece that i think we really should be talking about especially in mainstream media like this is how you use um, this othering to really push your own agenda, whether that's through policy, whether that's through scapegoating. We see that in all of our, in, in world history. Um, and the last piece that I think is just the accountability that we're going to um, attach this. And, and I'm hoping, I'm praying, I'm freaking, you know, God, if I could be one thing that I can hope for that as the American people can decide on is during this impeachment trial of saying there was absolutely the inciting of violence on January 6th at the Capitol. Words matter, right? And absolutely. that's what that that's what I'm hearing Amanda's just described at the beginning of her segment a little second ago. Words matter and how we other people and call the China yeah. virus. Like that words are our method of communicating. Mm -hmm. You can't say that a word doesn't matter, right? That's literally the purpose of words is to communicate, to get an idea across. And so when you start these dog whistles of calling things China virus, or when you start saying something's not American or whatever, that has effects. And so then Amanda brings up the impeachment and I watched a couple hours of it today. And a lot of the argument was this guy was saying, take back your country, go fight, show, be, you mean yep. business, let's show them you mean business. So what did people do? Exactly that. And defenders of that thinking are trying to say like, no, 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 he, he didn't mean it literally, which is what people have been saying for the last five years about Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. He called Mexicans rapists and people are like, no, 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 don't take him literally. He said there were shithole countries. Oh, no, no, he just, he just, he just yep. meant it like figuratively. But then you see the actions that these people take back up that garbage mm. terminology and actually enforce their horrible language. So you can't divorce these words from their meaning when somebody's acting on their words. It's, it's ridiculous. It's just false. So word words matter when we get called, like when we get any slur that you get thrown at, mm. I don't want to repeat slurs here, but right they're based in a hatred. They're based in an othering and a fear and a, mm -hmm. you don't belong here. And 
it's unbelievable to me that we just accept that people can talk crap about an entire population, a mm-hmm. group of people, an mm-hmm. ethnicity, a, a country, a culture, a heritage in negative ways and demeaning, awful, derogatory, hurtful, harmful ways. And everybody's like, nah, come on, just give it a pass. It doesn't matter. No pasa nada. No pasa nada. Yeah. It's, it's whack. It is whack. And, um, and I, I mentioned this before, but I actually grew up in the church. So, um, I have I literally when we had said that I was like I'm pretty sure there's like a verse that says something about that and I'm like oh yeah the tongue has the power of life and death it's in Proverbs um and to me I was like you know if we want to you know contribute you know uh the Republican Party with having good Christian you know (laughs) values or whatever anyways I don't want (laughs) to make this whole kind of you know sermon or anything like that but just um it it was something that I thought of and proverbs usually are like you know common um teachings and things that are actually just regurgitated from actual native um you know stories and and learnings but the reason i had brought it up was because this responsibility this accountability uh especially how it's been used throughout history is what we're seeing play out in the impeachment trial this week um you know folks this is the second impeachment trial the first one went got through the house but the Senate refused to um, actually hold the trial. This one, they actually did vote. And Nick, you can correct me. I was like, I don't know the correct terminology. But this this time around, there were enough votes to constitute, yes, this is um, something that can be heard for the Senate to deliberate on. Yeah, that's right. And so now that's the drama that we're seeing on television, on C-SPAN, on MSNBC. I, I don't know how Fox is covering this. I don't watch Fox. Yeah. Um, I, but I, I know that's, they don't. That's what they didn't play the. They didn't play the opening segment of like. Shocker. Yeah, of the what the you know essentially the Democrats had prepared for the case, um, so I know that piece. Um, yeah, yeah, so it's finish. progressing now, and and it's really shocking to see. There's they're releasing footage, they're presenting their arguments and being like, look, this is what happened minute by minute, and they have maps showing like, look, the vice president was here the mob was like 10 feet away from him kind of thing. And so they're showing it with like security footage that none of us have seen before. It's really jarring that they're giving like a walkthrough of the whole, whole terrible activity. Um, yeah. And I mean, and I think, and, and, and I know Celine was asking a question. It's like, I wonder what the gossip was on impeachment number two. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. You know, there's even more video footage of just how close uh, the uh, rioters, insurgents were to um, elected free leaders. So, um, and 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 the pieces that I think that actually been motive or moving are how it's not just you know these touted like politicians on television, but their family members don't want to visit them anymore at the Capitol. Their staffers are fearful, fearful for their lives. Like I know we had mentioned this on a previous episode, but I've, I've worked in the state Capitol before and yeah, you, you, your doors are open to anyone who comes, um, and you know, comes to your door. And sometimes that's not always pleasant, especially the last, um, five, six years under this, under the former president, you know, it was kind of dangerous there for, for, um, folks who didn't identify with, um, Trump's politics. So, um, to see that unfold on television was just like, this is the culmination. Of There's all these that. hot takes that I've been seeing of like, 
here's why people rioted. Like today I saw the Washington Post said a lot like, you know, X, you know, X percent of people who are being indicted for these crimes experienced financial hardship. And the article goes on to say like, they felt left behind, they felt ignored by their country and they see their country just being taken over. And to me, that's like another one of these ways that our writers and journalists mm-hmm. and everybody has come up with to not say racism. Right. When your country's being taken over by people you don't recognize, is it just because there's more non-white people around and you feel threatened when there's black and Latino and indigenous people around? Like, mm-hmm. so then you go riot and you'd go do hate crimes. Yeah. What, where, remind me of the mythology of the melting pot and how we're all one mm. and how we're all equal. Come on. Do you see what I, where I'm getting at? That this mythology does not hold up when you scrutinize it, when you think mm. about it in real life. And, and this violent mob was a lot of them were angry that people like Amanda and I and some of our viewers who are non-white are like in this country that our grandparents and our moms and our sisters are are coming to this country and living and we're the reason they're angry. Mm. I had a, I had a yeah. thought, but then I saw my dogs chewing on something and I think... It better not be my hair clip because I'm going to beat them. No, I'm just kidding. We don't beat the children in this house. But the, the I, oh, oh, here's what it was. Um, Nick had mentioned kind of like how it's being described by journalists and um, the mainstream media. And yeah, still majority of those spaces are majority white um, uh, and don't necessarily capture that this experience that we're highlighting today. So let it be known that here on Pinch Millennials, uh, Pinch Participation Podcast, that we aren't gonna let that slide. That this is, you know, this is the world that we're we're seeing. That the majority of um, we are the majority uh, population on this world, which is a non-white <laughs> people. Um, which is a phrase I've heard is instead of calling us minorities, calling us people of the global majority. Because when you think about it, there are more. <laughs> Latinos, Africans, and Asians in the country in the world mm-hmm. than white people. Yep. We are the global majority, right? Yep. If you're not white, um, and I'm, I'm thinking about thinking back to my days when I worked in the Capitol, and I would answer phone calls for Beto O'Rourke. People would call. You can call any member of Congress. For some of you, any <laughs> any one of us can call any member of Congress to share our ideas. So there's actual people, usually twenty something year olds, answering phones and being like hi, so-and-so's office, what do you want? And (laughs) I can't tell you the amount of times I had, I fielded phone calls from people with very prominent Texas twangs saying that people are invading our country and and then turning it on me and being like, where are you from? I'm like, bro, I'm from here. (laughs) Like, I got to take your notes because this is my job. Thank you, thank you. But like, why are you attacking me? And then you get those people in real life come into the Congress office and they can go into the Congress office and say, you know, give their peace to whoever. Mm-hmm. And then they ask you like, but where are you really from? I'm like, well, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Like I grew up, I was born and raised here. That's where I'm really from. Texas, My mom, bro. Like, <laughs> I know what you're getting at. Right. When right. someone asks, where are you really from? Yeah. They say that there that's code for you don't belong here. Right. Tell us where you came from, where you invaded from. Like, it's this garbage thinking that just drives me crazy. 
So when people ask where I'm from, I, I, I'd say Texas, and then they give me a look, and then I say, where are you from? And when they tell me, I say, but no, where are you really from? And I turn it around on them, yeah. and then they're like, well, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Poland? Italy? Is that where your family's from? <laughs> Sorry, that was not supposed to be. <laughs> I mean, they might be, right? But yeah. like, that doesn't mean they have more of a right to be here than I do. Just because they're from a European country? Nah. Right. I was like, y'all came from over. Anyways, no, I'm not going to turn around and use Someone, that impressive language. <laughs> Celine just um, gave, a, yep. gave a comment, says, we are minoritized, not minorities. Yeah. Which hits our point about being a global majority. And minoritized is the state of being marginalized and being made smaller or excluded. And I think about the state like New Mexico. New Mexico was not made mm. a state until there was a majority of white people mm. in that state. What? They come in with the New facts Mexico's, and the dictionary verb like, or minoritized. Golly, yes, you're on fire, Nick. Sorry, I just had to shut that up. Well, <laughs> I'm inspired by our by our viewers. Thank you, Celine. Yeah. Um, and and so that's you know there were plenty of people living in New Mexico for all of history, what we now know as New Mexico. And they were Mexicans, they were mestizos, indígenas, native peoples. Pueblos. And then the you people, the white Americans from the U.S. were like, right, this is ours. And we can't be a state until we know we are the majority, which is such garbage because you didn't have any right to invade that land and force these people to, and then not give them a voice, by the way. Right, right. <laughs> And that's Attention the action strings. of being minoritized is, yeah. you know, you don't count. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to, to, you know, pull on the early research of being millennial where um, the millennial generation is the largest non U S born um, age demographic here in the United States. So therefore it means that we are, um, we have more immigrants in our age demographic than in previous generations. Um, we also, uh, you know, represent again the largest age demographic in our in our country, and what kind of Nick was saying is like when you you tip the scales when you get to that point, right? When you are the majority and when you are the, um, you know, represent something just very different than prior generations, and I think that's a really wonderful indication of how we're how we're really stepping into a more global mindset and. Because I'm also millennial, I also like to learn more about astrology. But if folks don't know, there's like six planets in Aquarius right now, which um, people are like, it's the age of Aquarius. But what it means is that we're no longer buying into this concept of what has always been like this system. And that can include just like what America has symbolized for so long. But it's now a moment to really revolutionize that piece. And I'm going to end this because I know we're at the at the 40-ish minute mark. And I want to wrap this up for folks in their evening. But Beach Millennial, myself, and Nick are all Aquarius. <laughs> and, you know, I'm so glad that we're able to host these types of conversations because we hope you all can sit with it and, you know, really think through how how is this really changing what I feel, what I believe, and what am I willing to do to make it um, really, really be what I want it to be. And, um, you know, I think all of us participating again, right. This being to participation, uh, we're excited to continue these conversations and really appreciate you all, um, 
sharing a little bit about your experiences and, and, and giving us these comments. We live off of it. So we really appreciate it. Uh, and any, and Nick, any last, uh, last words you want to give to the folks, uh, before we wrap up this evening? Just, I do want to thank our, our listeners who are listening live and those who will listen to this podcast as we release it tomorrow. Uh, we are now at 800 followers, which is really cool. Um, and we're very glad we're proud to bring you content and think up ideas. So whenever you've got something on your mind, share with us at Beach Millennial on Instagram or either of our uh, Instagram handles. Um, we're excited to keep engaging with you and, and sharing what comes next on our, on our, in our content. Thanks for listening and the support y'all. Yes. And we appreciate every single one of you. We're going to go ahead and start signing out, but give us a review, give us a little like, send us a little comment on our post. Share us with your friends and wear a mask. Oh, double mask it, y'all. Two if you can. Uh, but sending you lots of love. Love you, Nick. Love you too. Can't See you all to talk to you later. Soon. Bye, y'all.